in God's economy, grieving leads to wisdom. How do you forgive when the wound is still open? How do you leave a legacy of redemption instead of dysfunction? How do you trust God when your deepest fears are realized? Join me, Sarah May, along with some wise mentors along the way as we explore these and other messy heart topics and the strategies we can use to seek healing in the pain and restoration in the ruins. Welcome to the Complicated Heart Podcast. Okay, I am here with Melanie Harding, who is amazing. She was my counselor in college to help me deal with my mother issues. And also, she did our pre-marriage counseling and helped me for some other issues because apparently I have a ton of them. So while I was living in State College, she was the one that I went to. And I'm so grateful to have her here today uh, as we're talking about healing and restoration through the grieving process. So hi, Melanie. Hi, Sarah. I'm so happy you're here. I'm so glad to be here. It's it's wonderful to talk to you again. I know, I know. This is so great. I think you should just move here, and then whenever I have an issue, I can just pop in. Or you know what? I'll just keep interviewing you for podcasts until I get all of my counseling needs. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That'll work. So because the listeners don't know you like I know you. And yeah, so I I just want to ask two really quick questions just so that they can understand a little bit who you are as a counselor. So first of all, how long have you been a counselor? Um, since the dawn of time, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, actually, uh, for about 31 years, it just kind of depends on when you want to, (laughs) to count Wow. How I started, maybe more like 32. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was like your halfway point in counseling because it was 15 years ago yes. when you were my counselor. Actually, probably more like 16 or 17 years ago Why because I've been married weird? 15. That's weird. Wow. That's so weird. That, right now. I can't believe it was that long ago, Sarah. Wow. I can't either. <laughs> so weird. Time goes fast. Well, so I also want to know, do you have a specialty? Um, no, I, I probably would be considered kind of more like a, you know, your family doctor who sees okay. much of whatever walks in the door. However, over the years, what I seem to gravitate towards and work a lot with is trauma and, um, been trained mm. in trauma protocol. And, uh, so I see, I, as opposed to the severe mental illnesses, I see people who more just dealing with the the deep struggles of life and depression and anxiety mm-hmm. and relationships and those kinds of things. Oh, so like the easy stuff. Yes. <laughs> That's what I always say. I am the lazy therapist. Uh-huh, okay. the lazy therapist. I actually, I have to tell you, when I was interviewing you for my book, which, by the way, Melanie has a whole chapter in my book. Uh, did you read that, by the way? Did you get a chance to look I, at it? 
did. It's so weird to see my name in a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll send you a copy when it comes out. It doesn't come out for forever, not until September 2019. So mm, it's yes. going to be a long time away. But anyway, when I was doing that interview, I had asked her about anxiety because I was, this isn't why I asked her, but you know, life coincides this way. I was experiencing a great deal of anxiety because I had to, <laughs> this sounds so funny, but a friend asked me to babysit and spend the night all of her five kids, two of which one was a baby and one was a toddler, in addition to my three kids being with me. And I was like having anxiety attacks over this. Like I wanted to do it because they really needed to get away. And so I said yes, but I was like, couldn't sleep at night, panicking. And you said, um, anxiety says, I can't do this. Like, this will kill me. I can't. But the reality, I can't do this. Is that what it is? I can't handle it. I can't handle it. Okay, right. Whatever it, whatever it is, I can't handle it. Yeah. Yes. And that's how I felt. And when you said that, and then you said, but you actually can. <laughs> and well, and you said, and if you can't, that's when you get help. But you were like, you you really can do this. Um, you said something to that effect, and I thought, okay, this isn't going to kill me. Like, I can do this. And, you know, I did, and I survived. And thank goodness I had a daughter who basically took care of the toddler. <laughs> and I had a friend come over and help me with dinner and everything. But that was so helpful to put words to what I was feeling, that the anxiety was telling me I couldn't handle it, mm -hmm. but that the truth was that I could handle it. I could do it. And then I did, and I was fine. And so that was just a little side story there that was very helpful. I don't know if you knew that that was going on at the time, but it was. And you helped yeah. me. Yeah. It's so true. So yeah. we're going to talk about a really light subject today. We're going to talk about grief. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not, not light at all. Uh, so basically I, I just want to do a deep dive into this so we can get right to it because I know there's a lot of listeners who are struggling with losses and we're not just talking about death. We're talking about the loss of a dream or the loss of a child or the loss of a relationship or yes, even, uh, the loss through death. And so I want to talk about how we grieve, how we mourn our losses, because this is specifically how Melanie helped me when she helped me to mourn the loss of a mother uh, while my mom was still alive. So Melanie, let's, let's start here. Can you tell us uh, what is grief? Well, <laughs> that is complicated. And honestly, Sarah, we could talk about that alone for probably many podcasts. Mm. It's grief is a very complicated thing, but for the sake of right now, I will reduce it to it's just the process of letting go of our expectations. Mm. And um we have a lot of them and we have a lot of expectations that we don't even know we have. And the process throughout life is to learn how to deal with the the losses in everything that we've pinned our hopes on. So throughout life, we pin our hopes on all kinds of little things. This ice cream cone will make me happy to having children will make me happy to, you know, big and little. And, um, and throughout life, we're dealing with our needs sometimes aren't met. That 
there is struggle, our connections to ourselves, to God, to others, to this world are challenged. And then by the end of life, the only connection left is with God. And and that's a long, hard process. Not that I want to make it sound so morbid. It's not that life is about nothing but grief. But when we are dealing with the losses, uh, the realities of the losses, um, that's the process we're going through. It's the process of letting go of being God in our own lives and accepting that God is the only God in our life. Oh, that's good. The process of letting go of being God in our own life. I'm writing that down. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) And accepting that God is the only God in our life. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So, okay. So grief is this process of letting go of expectations. Am I saying that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And the other thing I, I think that I remember you telling me before was that grief is the process of facing reality, which is, I guess, goes hand in hand with this idea of letting go of expectations because you have to face the truth. Is that, mm-hmm. would you say that's correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it would be easy, right? Like grief, just face your reality, cry it out, whatever. But um, so many of us have such a hard time grieving or facing reality for a number of reasons. But why is it so hard for so many of us to face reality? Mm -hmm. Well, there are, again, many, many reasons. Like you just said, Uh, sometimes we're just not sure of what reality actually is. Mm. And, and that gets very complicated for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes it goes against our sense of who we are or what we deserve in life. So my husband, he had, he was born partially deaf. And so he, all of his life wanted to be in the FBI and then found out he couldn't do that. And then he wanted to be a pilot and he found out he couldn't do that because of his hearing. And then he decided he'd be a police officer because he hadn't heard that he couldn't do that. And so he went to college for four years of criminal justice. He interned at a police department, um, got offered two different, uh, by two different departments, got offered a job. And then later we found out that he could not become a police officer because of his hearing loss. And that took years and years and years for him that he lost a dream. For those listening who are, finding out that life is not what they thought, what would you say to them? Welcome to the world. Our dreams are not necessarily God's dreams for us. And that's very, very hard for us to grab a hold of. Does that mean that we should never have dreams, that we should never desire any good thing in our life, or that we should never hope our life will take certain paths or turns. No, it's, it's a natural, normal part of life to dream. It's just when we make our dreams, our God, that we get into trouble. And when we, you know, can hold our dreams more loosely in our hands and realize that the adventure is to look with anticipation for 
where God is taking us, even if it takes us away from what we thought our dream would look like. That God's goodness will lead us into something even better than what we first thought. You said something that I think is so significant. You said, when we make our dreams into God's, that's when we get into trouble. Mm -hmm. Mm. That's a good one. That is so true. And I I don't even think we mean to make our our dreams into God's. I think it probably snowballs. That's right. Mm -hmm. And then anxiety tells us if this dream does not happen or come true, then life as I know it will end. And Mm. then I will die. (laughs) Then I can't, then I can't handle it. My life won't be worth living. It, It says all these things to us. Yeah. And, and then anxiety in a way becomes our God Mm. as opposed to either the dream or God. It's, it's just very insidious, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Like you say, it snowballs. It's not uh, something that we set out to do. We don't set out to say, "Mm, my dream is my God and I will obey it no matter what. We don't do that. Right. Yeah. And and you said that then we tend to make anxiety our God, again, not meaning to do it, not setting out to do it, but how do we do that? I mean, what does it look like? How do we know that we've made anxiety then our God? Well, there's um, a lot of, of if-then statements we will make, right? Mm. We, we develop a dream. Um, or expectations, if it isn't a dream, but it's expectations of how life should go, right? And and we will say to ourselves, if this happens, then I will emotionally experience happiness or sadness. I won't be able to handle it. And so we develop these if-then statements according to our our core expectations. And then we spend our days trying to fulfill those core expectations, beliefs, and sometimes they're, they're just lies, you know? Yeah, this is good. Okay. And I realize, you know, as we're talking, like whether it's a dream or it's the loss of a relationship or it's a death, it all still comes down to these expectations that we have for life and what we think it should look like. And... um I guess one of the questions that I want to ask is why is it so important that we grieve our losses? Why is it so important that we take the time to actually stop and, and grieve? So let me here, let me preface it like this. When, when I was in college and you were dealing with me with my mother issues and I was all like, you know, tell me that she's going to change or tell me that there's going to be a woman who's going to mother me. And, you know, I'm not going to feel so alone and untouched. And you said to me, you need to mourn the loss of a mother as though essentially that she died because you do not have a mother. You don't have what it is that you're looking for. And I had never considered that I had to mourn a mom as though she died, like that I didn't have a mom or what a mom should be like a nurturing, caring, you know, whatever mom. And why, why did I need to do that? Why do you think it's important 
to mourn our losses. When we are focused on um, what we need and we don't have, our life can become consumed by trying to get it. And our emotions, our thoughts, our relationships, the things we do in life or don't do in life, all start to focus in on that, getting the things that we don't have. And in order for our hearts and our minds and our relationships to become open again to what life has for us in this moment, in the present, we have to let go of the focus of getting the needs met of the past, the, the past needs met. Mm. All right. Mm -hmm. Sarah, let me ask you a question. If you were still trying, now I, I know your mom has passed on at this point, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But if your mom was still alive and you were still trying to get her to meet those needs in you, do you think you would have grown in the ways you have grown to this point in your life right now? No. And not only that, but I wouldn't have been able to love her the way that God was asking me to love her. Because one of the biggest things I learned when I mourned her as my mom, mm -hmm. and I wasn't expecting this to happen, but it did happen, is that once I went through that grieving process, which uh, the biggest part of the grieving process, honestly, for me, was just recognizing the reality, like the truth that she wasn't. Once I finally saw that truth, it changed everything. And then I was able to see her, and this took a long time. <laughs> this wasn't like, oh, now I see her as a human and I can love her. No, this took a long, long time. But then I was able to just see her as a fellow person, a fellow human who needed love and who had a story of her own and who had her own wounds. And that doesn't mean that I would let her in in every aspect of my heart after that because I was wounded. But because I mourned the loss and I, and I stopped trying to get my needs met from her, the mother needs, I did. I was able to really truly forgive her and then love her and because of that able I was able to then maintain a relationship with her until her death which was shocking because otherwise I think I probably would have cut off our relationship and walked away entirely and so it was life it was a game changer to release her because it released me that's right that's the point it releases you from the bondage yes and that allows you to open your heart and your mind and your spirit to the good that God has for you, right? Mm -hmm. and, yes. And so this, this feels so paradoxical to life for us human beings. But in God's world, if you read all through the Old Testament in particular, it talks about um, grieving in many different ways and loss, right? And, and the truth is, is in God's economy, grieving leads to wisdom. Mm. But the lie or the fear is that it will be worse. Like the fear is 
if I mourn this person, right? So for me specifically, but everybody else has their own losses. They can plug in here. But for me to mourn the loss of a mother, hearing that felt like death. Like I will die if I can't have that love, if I can't have the love of a mother. Like that will kill me. I can't do it. But then once I did it, I wasn't dead. And I actually, like you said, the bonds were broken and I was able to then go on to grow and flourish and find joy. But, but I never would have believed it <laughs> until I walked through it. Right. And, and can we talk about, well, you know, you had asked why sometimes reality is very hard to accept. Yes. And, and part of that is is that we're afraid deep, deep within that if we accept a reality, that it changes our concept of who we are. Okay. I know this is getting really deep, but it we're we're afraid that we will have to change our view of ourselves, the world, uh, and and the change won't be for the good. Okay. And when our identity, mm-hmm. like in your case, Sarah, I think your identity was based on if I can get my mother's love, if I can get her to see the real me and smile and be proud of me and want to be in relationship with me, then I will know that I'm an acceptable human being and I will know that I can, I can be successful mm. in life. And that's not the case yeah. because our identity needs to be solidly in the acceptance by Christ. And, and so when you can say my identity is unchanging because of who God has created me to be and my relationship with God through Christ, then, then it makes it easier to let go of situations that we say my identity is based on this dream. Or this relationship. Or even an idea. Can an identity be based on an idea? Because like for me, with my mom, it was if she loves me, I can fall apart in her arms and I'm not alone. Mm. Like for me, it was I don't want to be mm-hmm. alone because I felt very alone. And I wonder if, some, if identity can be based on also an idea. Absolutely. And and you hear that if then statement that you were making, if my mom will nurture me, then I won't be alone. Mm. And, and you were really trying so hard to heal the most basic human attachment of connection with your mom, giving you the safety to feel connected to others. I won't be alone. And I think it's in Isaiah where God refers to himself like a uh, nursing mother. And he says Mm -hmm. that he is driven to connect with us and, and nurture us and love us that way. Right. And, but unlike a mother who eventually will eventually pass from this earth and we will no longer have connection with, he is there for us even more than a nursing mother and and that feels so abstract to us sometimes but um that's part of how we get through grieving 
is connecting with the reality of God's view of us. So when we were talking about why is it so hard to face reality, and I thought another reason I think it's hard is because it feels like if you face it, then you're giving permission to it. Like you're saying it's okay. So if I face it, it's like I'm saying it's okay that I'm alone or it's okay that you're not a mom. Like we feel like we're giving it permission, but we're not giving it permission. What are we doing? We are accepting that we are powerless to change it. Oh, and that's so hard. That is so hard because that is so painful. Yes. We feel we hate powerlessness, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is part of letting go of being God in our own lives. I mean, when, when we get up in the morning and our feet hit the floor subconsciously, before we even realize it, we are asking ourselves a question and answering it. And the question is, so who's going to be in control of my day today? Is it going to be me? Is it going to be the great they out there or is it going to be God? And subconsciously, we automatically vote me, me, that's it, me. I will be in control of my day today. And this is how I expect my day to go. And I will get angry and frustrated and irritated if my day does not go, right, the the way that I have chosen for it to go. And so it can be very painful when it does not go the way we plan it to go. And we have a hard time dealing with our emotions. We're in this country in particular, I don't know about other countries, but we don't we are not taught to tolerate our emotions very well. And so we'll do all kinds of things to not have to feel the pain of hopes and dreams crushed or the the fear and the scariness of not knowing who we are if certain things don't happen in our life or we have certain losses in our life that we won't know how to put our life back together again and that's all very scary and very painful and and we struggle to deal with those emotions that are so intense and can take us over and so Part of the process of growing and maturing is learning to tolerate that emotions won't kill you. Emotions won't kill you. Acting on emotions could potentially kill you, but emotions won't kill you. Mm, That's good. We allow emotions to come and be what they are and to recognize them for what they are and allow them to dissipate naturally, they, they give us a certain type of information that with our logic, with our thoughts, we can then integrate together and then make decisions out of. But we have to learn to tolerate them and understand they're just one part of us. Sometimes, you know, some people are real feelers, right? So you have an emotion. Hi, me. <laughs> yeah. Feeler here. So if you have emotion, and we have this deep down belief that if we're feeling it intensely, then it must be true. And that's not necessarily the case. Okay. You brought up two things that I have to, we have to talk about. Okay. Um, in a minute, but not yet. Okay. 
I want to talk about ways in that in which we stuff our grief, in which we avoid our pain, right? Because you're just saying like, oh, we'll do anything to avoid it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I want to talk about that. And then um, you were saying how we get up in the morning and we can choose like who's in control, me, they, God. And yet we have – so okay so there's this balance between the surrendered life right and that we do make decisions during our day in which we have choices and we have some control because God allows us to have some control thing of the day is like you choose your life like you choose your dream means you choose your journey and like it feels so good to hear all of that right like I am in control of my life and my days and where is that balance between surrender and God-given volition. Mm -hmm. And, and that is, yeah. And there's a lot of truth to that because we do. And unfortunately, a lot of times we choose our life more subconsciously than consciously, which is sometimes problematic and which is why it is good to kind of hear these messages of be intentional about the life you are choosing. And we absolutely do have uh, control in our life. I think as I've grown older and my process of all of this is that we, we have to hold that loosely and be excited about when God changes our plans or our dreams. And that's hard because we have this underlying assumption of if I decided intentionally that this is what I want, then it's a good thing and it's the best thing. And if God doesn't give it to me, well, then life is terrible, horrible. God is mean or bad. I don't know what it is. So what I've been learning lately in my life is when I get up in the morning to intentionally put my palm, the palm of my hands up and out and to say, Lord, my day is yours. I assume that it's going to look like this, this, and this. I have appointments from nine to three. I have, you know, dinner tonight. Da, 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 da. I assume that this is what my day is going to look like. I assume that this hope that I have is going to be met. I assume that this dream that I'm taking one more step towards today is going to happen. But my day is yours. And if you choose differently for me, I'm going to take a deep breath and work hard to let go of my assumptions. And I'm going to work hard to look for where you're moving and what you are doing. Once I get over my frustration and irritation and anger, (laughs) will probably happen first automatically, but I'm going to try to get over that. And then look for where you are at work. You know, Sarah, did you do the Experiencing God Bible study at all? Henry Blackaby's? You know, I feel like I should have because I remember in college, everybody doing it and everybody talking about it. And so I'm sure at some point I bought it and I'm sure at some point I started to go through it. Mm-hmm. But I also am sure that I never finished it or went through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so part of the concept of that, and I would recommend anybody working 
through that. And, and yes, that will be helpful with um, kind of shifting your paradigm so that you can see grieving and, and the loss of certain needs being met. From, it, it will help you to see it through a different paradigm, that Bible study. It, it's really quite wonderful. And part of that Bible study is that it isn't about God helping us with our plans so much, right? It's about watching for where God is showing up and working. So it's not about like, okay, we are waiting around for God to uh, show up and help us out with our plans Mm -hmm. as much as about this expectant joy of where is God at work and how could I be a part of that today? And that gives us much more a sense of adventure in life. That doesn't mean that life isn't hard. And part of sometimes where he's showing up and is at work is in very painful, deep struggles. But it just shifts our perspective of what those struggles are about. Yeah. And, you know, as you're talking about, you're using words like joy and adventure of God changing our plans. But I'm thinking about the listener right now who's, Mm -hmm. you know, child just died of cancer or whose spouse just left them and for another woman or what do you say to them about Mm. grieving and you know is God changing the plans is the devil changing the plan I mean we can't answer all these right but what do you say to them because to them they're listening and they're like this is not an adventure I want to be on or there is no joy in this devastation oh yeah Uh, Absolutely. One, to understand that the pain, dealing with the emotions and the confusion and the struggle is uh, very real and will take the time that it takes. And it is not to be taken lightly and it is not to be stuffed and you know, uh, padded over with platitudes or any of that sort of thing. And right, it doesn't feel like an adventure. But an adventure, we sometimes think of adventure as like going to an amusement park and it's an adventure to ride the roller coaster where we believe that there really is no risk of any harm. We're just going to get a thrill. But adventure, like when you think of the Odyssey, or great epic stories. Adventure always has risk and pain and suffering in it. Mm-hmm. And so adventure with God, adventure in this life is about embracing all of life and embracing that part of that is deep suffering and not knowing what we will do. I remember many years ago when my kids were very little. My oldest was like five. My daughter, um, so my son was about five. My daughter was about two and a half. And I had a newborn, right? And um, we went through a very hard season. My son broke his uh, leg in his arm. Uh, My husband had walking pneumonia. My daughter fell through a great 
you know, the heating vent grate and um, to the bottom floor. Thankfully, all that happened was she knocked out a tooth. And my uh, newborn had infant asthma. And I was up all night and all day with the toddlers for about six months. And my immune system crashed. And I had always had an autoimmune disorder, but it came back in spades. And so we went through a period of time where we had to have um, help from the church. I childcare while my husband was at work mm. and somebody to make the meals. And the, the church helped us for about three months because I was any, unable to really uh, walk. Swallowing was hard, all of that sort of stuff. Okay. And so I was talking with the psychologist that whose practice I worked in at the time, and we were doing supervision, so to speak. And I was telling him the latest in this series of bad things happening in life. And he kind of had that glazed look. And he says, well... You know, God is just helping you to grow and the lessons of life. And did you just like want to punch him? <laughs> you can't see my face on this podcast, but I guess I can have a pretty terrifying look on my face when I get angry, apparently. And I shook my finger at him and I said, I don't want to grow anymore. <laughs> I want to be blissfully ignorant. I do not want to grow in anything. I just want a normal life. And no more pain. <laughs> and no more pain and no more struggles and no more bad things happening. Mm. <laughs> and his eyes got really wide, like, you know, a deer in the headlights kind of look. And he's like, oh, uh-oh. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think the hope to hang on to, though, is that you cling to the Lord. You let other people speak a kind word into your heart. You open up and you process what is going on inside you as it comes up, you know, and there's a lot of different ways to process. Everybody is different. You do that, and this too shall pass, and there will be better days. Hmm. How do you keep believing the goodness of God when such terrible things happen? Hmm. You know, this is very, very difficult. And I think any Christian who genuinely thinks deeply about things has to really wrestle with this question. And that is, and that is, you know, what faith really is all about. And I, what popped to my mind was one woman in particular, but I, I see sexually abused women every day, some sexually abused men. And that question of where is God, where is the goodness of God in, in all of that is not an easy pat answer. But what we do know is that God does promise us in Romans that the things that were intended for evil, not by him, but by other human beings, 
by Satan himself. Mm -hmm. God can redeem and bring good out of it. And the struggle of why would God allow that to begin with gets into some very deep theological questions. I refer to any great pastor or theologian. They certainly can answer those questions at a, at a deeper level than, than what I can. Yeah. Philip Yancey, and I'll link it in the show notes, has an excellent book on this too. Oh, yes. Yes. I remember when something tragic happened to somebody I know, I, I remember feeling like, how are they ever going to love God after this? And the person said to me, this is now a part of their story. Yes. And so instead of hiding it from them or pretending it didn't exist or doesn't exist, you bring it up and you say, like, how are you, you know, let's talk about this or do you want to talk about this? And this is now a part of your story. And so God can uh, use this story. This, this doesn't have to be, this doesn't have to turn out only in something broken or terrible. Good can even come from this part of your story now. That's right. That is, that is right. And so, you know, in, in my mind, life, just generally speaking, life is supposed to be about the process of growing in the wisdom of the Lord. We don't often do that with life, but to me, that that is my kind of paradigm of, of looking at life. It is about this growth process that we have, that we are always working towards developing wisdom in the Lord. And grieving leads to wisdom. And Tim Keller defines wisdom in a great way. He defined wisdom as the competence to deal with the complex realities of life. And this gets back to your question about why is it so hard to accept reality when it's not what we want? It's complex. And, and wisdom is this lifelong journey of learning how to do that. And it's a maturing process, but grieving leads to wisdom. And so the people who are willing, willing to just stay connected with God, even when, ah, how can he be a good God when we don't understand? He allowed all of this tragedy in my life. I hate life right now, right? I don't like what he is making my life out to be and all of that sort of stuff. And yet in faith, he's good. And somehow it's me that has to shift my paradigm to somehow understand his goodness and all of this, that those are the people who become wise. Even when it's their, their grieving is in unspeakable traumas, unspeakable horrors. And when we don't cling to God and his truth, in those unspeakable horrors and traumas, that is when we become bitter mm. and we succumb to anger and bitterness being our God. Mm -hmm. And we don't grow and we don't heal. Yeah. And that leads me to another question. What happens when we don't grieve? What, how are some ways that we avoid facing reality? Well, you know, that again, I many podcast 
<laughs> discussion, but Melanie Harding, part twenty-two. <laughs> <laughs> I think your I think your listeners would be very bored by that point, but um, just just superficially, I mean, we we try to bury the feelings. We throw, oh, here it comes, Sarah. We try to throw our feelings behind the Hoover Dam. Oh, okay. Yeah. Get it? Hoover Dam. <laughs> For those of you who have no idea, my last name is actually Hoover because I go by Sarah May. So many people actually don't know that's my last name. So that's what Melanie is referring to. For those of you who are like, I don't get the joke. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there it is. Now you know a secret. It's now not a secret. <laughs> I'm sorry. But anyways, no, we try we try to throw our, our feelings and the situation, the reality of life behind the Hoover Dam. We just stuff it, right? I'm not going to deal with it. So we get very busy. We over-involve ourselves in other people's lives. We hyper-focus on, you know, something else um, to distract us. So we use all kinds of techniques to not not process or deal with the grief we you know in terms of stuffing it and when we do that it will come out sideways backwards upside down we will sometimes just feel haunted like we're always running from it and it will come out in much more subconscious ways where we are trying to get those needs met in other relationships that are not appropriate to get those needs met in. We will try to define ourselves in ways that are not appropriate to define ourselves. If we don't uh, deal with our grieving, if we don't deal with the realities and the complexities of what we're facing. Oh, and there is something that we do. Okay. And I, this is universal. And I, if I deal with this once in my daily work with clients, I deal with it every day almost and that is when we've been unresolved we have something unresolved in our lives from childhood and it's something that we just it says something about who we are and it's very painful and it's unresolved and we can't we can't process it because it happened particularly say with a parent okay and it says something to us about who we are. What we end up doing is we end up growing up and subconsciously we end up finding people who will, um, who kind of have some of the same traits as that parent or that person who made us feel bad about who we are and we could never get resolved. And we will replay the same scenarios out again and again and again we recreate them again and again and again trying to get a different result the problem is is that we typically just end up reaffirming our deepest core beliefs about who we are or how we should feel about ourselves and they end up being kind of like core lies so we we end up subconsciously reinforcing the painful beliefs over and over again, all the while working very hard on a more conscious level to say that will never happen again, you know? And that is because we haven't really dealt directly with mourning the loss or the grief of what we did not get in that relationship 
or that situation. And we need to look at the core beliefs that have developed out of that relationship or that situation and ask ourselves, are those core beliefs really true or are they lies? And that, so that, that's how we end up staying in the same old rut again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Okay, we are winding down here, my friend. You have been so gracious with your time, but I, I have a really important question for you. Okay. For the people out there who are grieving or maybe thinking, okay, maybe I'm going to face this thing, how? How do I do it? How do I go through the process of grieving? How do I mourn this loss? Do you have any tips or strategies for us in how we actually go about doing this? Mm -hmm. Well, it will vary for different people. You know, people... Are, are very different in their personality styles and what speaks to them and what doesn't speak to them. So I'll just throw out a number of different strategies and, you know, hopefully it will help somebody out there. I think really digging into the word of God and whether that is studying Psalms and Proverbs and Isaiah and the New Testament or whatever, reinforcing God's realities versus our own realities. So cognitively, you know, clinging to truth, stay connected to people around you. We so often isolate and it's hard. Some people are very introverted and um, they tend to withdraw and depression will make you want to withdraw from people. Uh, but staying connected, talking about receiving other people's support and care. If uh, you don't have anyone in your life or you don't have several people in your life that can help you with that, there's, there's grief support groups and, and going to a counselor can really help uh, if you're struggling to find that community support so we need we need the relational we need filling our minds with god's truth um emotionally letting your emotions come up and keeping them in their proper perspective that they are just part of the whole picture they do not determine the whole picture and telling yourself i am not going to feel like this for the rest of my life these feelings are temporary. They are a transition into helping me accept a new normal. So I can tolerate these feelings. I can handle them. And telling yourself that over and over again. Letting yourself cry. And you know, tears are God's, tears are one of God's tools that he's given us to cleanse the soul, to release the frustration and the built-up energy that comes with all those painful emotions. Some people find journaling very helpful. Some people find processing their emotions and their thoughts while exercising is very helpful or doing something active is very helpful. 
so getting getting your body involved in the releasing of grief is a really good thing as well. So I just would encourage people to look at it from a very integrated perspective. I would also say have lots and lots of grace. And grace is about letting go of the expectations of yourself and others in the grieving process. You know, it's true. People don't know what to say. And so to receive their heart intent versus sometimes their words is important. Receive a hug from them, (laughs) even if it's through their words. Their words are just amazingly unhelpful but receive the intent of their heart in those things. Have grace for yourself that you aren't going to necessarily be able to perform at life at its at at your highest capacity while you're grieving and to make your expectations a little bit more realistic. Um, I'd say to love yourself well through this process. It's really, really important and to recognize it won't last forever. You will come out the other side of it. What happens is when we bottle it up, besides coming out backwards, sideways, and upside down, it will eventually have to be dealt with. You are not, time does not just take it all away. No, it doesn't. And so better to get it done and over with Mm-hmm. than to put it off and to pile more and more stuff on top of it. Yes. Yeah. And because God loves us, I feel like he keeps bringing it up mm-hmm. gently. Mm-hmm. Like, deal with this. I want to heal you. I want to heal you. And we can keep pushing him away, but I feel like you could deal with it now or when you're 99, but you might as well get to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we, when we, again, palms up, hands out, Pray in that submission, Lord, here is all of my grief. And and you can sob in the Lord's presence in prayer. That can be so healing, you know, so healing. And sometimes we're like, but I'm not feeling his presence. Know that he is there anyways. Mm -hmm. You know, because sometimes depression just takes our frontal lobes offline and, and takes the part of our brain that it connects um, spiritually offline. That is so good. And, you know, you said something that I think is very important. You said we need to learn how to love ourselves well through this. And there's such a backlash against this idea of loving ourselves because I think people are so worried that we're going to, like, take it to some bizarro extent. And I'm like... No, I think it just means like really being gentle with ourselves and seeing ourselves as God sees us and love, you know, if we look up, you know, what love is, it's patient and kind and all these things. Why shouldn't we be that to ourselves as well, especially when we're going through a grieving process? So I'm glad you said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very important. This is not about narcissism. Right. Or selfishness. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is about treating ourselves how we would treat others. 
Yes. Oh, I'm glad you said this. Yeah. <laughs> that's so good. Oh my gosh, that's so good. Um, you're a people too, right? I'm a people too. Yes. Okay, so Melanie, is there any last piece of advice for those struggling with loss that you just want to say that maybe I didn't ask or you didn't get to say? Uh, sometimes it can just seem so complicated. And, and we talked about some very deep, complicated concepts. But really, I think we can go every day to the Lord and to others and just take it step by step very simply of I am grieving and I hate it and I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it. Lord, help me through this process. And I really believe that he'll guide you through that, whether you realize he's doing it or not. That's so good. Melanie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was such a delight to have you. And I just am so thankful for you in my own life and for all of the women who are listening, who I know that you will impact. Thank you. Oh, it was my pleasure, Sarah. It's always wonderful to talk with you. I, it's really one of the joys that I get to have in life is when I get to talk with you. Thank you for listening to the Complicated Heart Podcast. Loved this episode? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Reviews are how people know if they should listen or not. So please, if you like the show, take a minute and give it a review. Thank you so much. If you want to know more, check out sarahmay.com forward slash the complicated heart podcast. See you next time.